This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome back to our show Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman. He's also a distinguished professor of economics at the Graduate Center at City University of New York and also an opinion writer for the New York Times. Paul, pleasure to have you back. Hope you're doing well through all of this. Well, I'm holding together. Uh, It's strange times. It is. It certainly is. And obviously, uh, your view on, on the election was, was fairly well known. Uh, give us your reaction to what we saw play out really in respect to the economy and really the, the attempts to try and recover the economy against the coronavirus. Well, I'm concerned because, uh, you know, unless Democrats pull off a real upset in, in Georgia and those special elections, we're going to have divided government uh, and uh, the and divided government, which will probably involve a, a fair bit of pretty much sabotage on the part of Senate Republicans. And we're not out of the woods on this COVID um, slump, um, very far from being out of the woods. You know, the vaccine is, is coming, but it won't really, uh, on best estimates, won't really be doing a lot of to, to restrain the pandemic until fall. And how are we going to get the necessary measures to get through the inter- intervening period if we have a, a bitterly divided government. So I'm actually very concerned about the, you know, I think it's, you know, you know who I favor for president. But, yes. But I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about what happens if we have, uh, you know, essentially gridlock, uh, gridlock bordering on sabotage in, in the months ahead. And that obviously brings up the question of uh, a fourth uh, relief package, uh, and yeah. whether or not we could see that happen. I, I'm, people are talking about whether it is a possibility during the lame duck session. I think that's virtually impossible. Uh, but then the question becomes what happens after uh, after the uh, the inauguration in uh, late January? Well, I mean, I, it's, you know, I can't do the political handicapping any better than anyone who reads the news, but uh, the historical record, we, people forget just how hardball Republicans played with Obama. Uh, to remember that they threatened to force a default on the national debt in order to force him to cut spending. So to imagine that we're going to get a lot of cooperation on a relief package, uh, that we're going to get anything remotely adequate to the scale of the problems, this flies in the face of everything we know on, on the history here. So, uh, And this is scary. I mean, you know, we, we everybody's sort of celebrating, wow, we, we may have a vaccine, and maybe by the fall, this thing will be over. But meanwhile, uh, you know, the, the uh, number of cases is growing exponentially. Uh, at, at this rate, within about six weeks, we'll be uh, having a, a death toll that was higher than at the peak in the early spring. And uh, this is this is really not good. So you brought up uh, the, the spending issue, and I think that's important point to touch on, because as you alluded to, uh, Republicans have historically been, as the term goes, fiscally conservative. Uh, but that seemingly has not been as much the case over the last few years. And so I, I just want to get your sense of, of where you think we are in terms of what we need to do and, and, and how we need to think about spending, especially considering the amount of debt that is being racked up during this uh, during this pandemic. Okay, the first thing to say is they've never been fiscally conservative. Okay. They've talked about it, but have okay. never actually concern, shown any concern about deficits created by tax cuts. The, uh, the Republicans have been against public spending, uh, particularly if it helps uh, people in need. So you know, okay. let's, let's be clear that the law, that's hypocrisy. Um, the trouble is that what we're looking at right now is 
It's the same issues that we've had all along. Large numbers of people are not able to work. Large numbers of businesses are not able to function as normally uh, as long as there's a pandemic raging. Uh, and we really need, it's not even stimulus. I think people use the wrong word. We're, we still need economic relief to tide people over that and to prevent uh, the, you know, the continued depression of the restaurant sector and other sectors like that from spreading to the rest of the economy. Um, and that calls for a lot of money. I mean, reasonable estimates suggest that we should be spending a couple of hundred billion dollars a month until, basically until the vaccine is widely distributed. And I have, I see no prospect that that's going to happen. So what is it going to take, do you think, to be able to try and recover as many of those jobs that were lost at, at really at the outset? I mean, we've, we've brought some of them back, but still, as you yeah. just alluded to, there are so many people that are still not back in the workforce at this point. And I think it's going to, going to take some extraordinary measures to get to that point. Okay. Uh, actually, I have a slightly complicated view. I'm short-run very pessimistic because I'm scared about the economic as well as the health impact of this pandemic, which really is growing uncontrolled right now. Uh, I'm actually optimistic about a year or two from now, because I think even though we've lost terribly uh, from the pandemic, once there's a vaccine, once the thing is no longer spreading, I think people will be shocked at how quickly jobs come back, as they were during that partial rebound you know, earlier this year. Um, and then longer term, however, we have a, a persistent problem of, of an economy that it's just got a glut of there. There's basically uh, global savings is more than desired global investment. And so we, we're having we're, there's a real need for big spending on infrastructure and so on further down the line. So it, if you ask me where I think we'll be in six months, I think it's scary as hell. Uh, if you ask me where I think we'll be in 18 months, I'm pretty optimistic. If you ask me where I think we'll be in five years, I get pessimistic again. Part of the the work you do at uh, at uh, City University of New York uh, deals around the issue of inequality, and, and certainly yeah. that's been a topic that has been discussed a good bit. And, and I'm wondering where you think we are right now in the scope of that issue, because there's been so much social unrest, and, and it seems like the there is more a conversation going on around the issues of inequality, but I'm wondering if there's enough will to really push uh, push a lot of changes forward. Well, not again, not if we have a divided uh, government. Uh, we, you know, the, we actually achieved something. Uh, that there's an untold story, which is that in the spring and and uh, half of the summer, uh, we had. A, not only did we manage to. Uh, greatly alleviate the economic fallout from the pandemic, but we also, uh, in fact, did a lot to alleviate inequality. Those, those particularly those expanded unemployment checks, but also other other kinds of spending. Uh, some estimates suggest that in the midst of a pandemic and after, with more than 20 million jobs lost, poverty in the United States actually went down. Yeah, uh, which just yeah. shows that, that if you're willing to spend money on on fighting poverty, and uh, you can actually do a lot to fight poverty. So uh, we, we've actually seen a demonstration that you can do a lot, but uh, that, that has, that's not what's happening now. What's happening now is that we're, we're in a stalled recovery, where, which is, and the, the, um, the job losses have disproportionately hurt low-wage workers, uh, so that inequality right now is probably worse, than, probably worse than it's been since the Gilded Age, if not, if not uh, perhaps ever. So this is, this is not good. 
then can President-elect Biden have a, a lot of success with policy and changes that he wants to make, especially if you have a, 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 a divided government? Well, there no. I mean, there are some things that he can do. Uh, there's there's a lot of scope for uh, regulatory changes, uh, uh, things that that are within the purview of uh, of the president and and don't require legislation. Uh, and we've seen that actually a lot of Trump's most distinctive stuff, uh, both on environment, on trade, were all done without passing any bills through Congress, and, and Biden would have. Uh, a lot more authority than people sometimes think, uh, but uh, the there's only so much you can do on the inequality front. Uh, you can't. Uh, I mean, it, it appears they might be able to do things like uh, some forgiveness of student debt. Right. Uh, that he might be able to make uh, the environment more conducive for labor organizing. That's a. I think that's a big thing that people are not focusing on enough. Uh, but he can't. He can't do enhanced income support programs. He can't um, expand uh, expand Obamacare, which was his uh, his policy plan, uh, unless he can get laws passed through Congress. And uh, you know, if, uh, my guess is, if, if if Republicans hold on, then McConnell won't even let anything like that get to the floor. I have during this time of the coronavirus, I've talked a lot about the stimulus packages as, as they have come forward, and obviously in the last few months. While all of this has been playing out, there has still been roughly, what, $130 billion sitting in the uh, PPP program. Uh, and th- the question I have is is that, you know, this money could be, I think, very valuable to a lot of businesses if if Congress could kind of get out of their own way and push something forward. Yeah, so there are some stuff. Although you always want to bear in mind that the U.S. is a $20 trillion economy, so that— uh, uh, this is that's not an insignificant amount of money, but yeah. you know the the core of what really was keeping us afloat during the CARES Act was not PPP, but the unemployment benefits uh, that uh, we were basically providing on the order of 90 billion a month uh, in income to people with a very high propensity to spend that money. So it was not only helping them with the hardship, but it was also really a, a major source of of economic support in general, and that's that's what's um, what went away in July. Uh, the impact has been gradual, but people are depleting their savings. That's going to hit, and then also, uh, uh, you know, we haven't really seen the full f- uh, force of the state and local fiscal crisis uh, because uh, you know, state and local governments have been uh, uh, they they have made cuts, but they haven't fully cut the reflect the revenue losses and if they when that happens uh then then you're hit, hitting a whole second wave of job losses and and this time around a lot of those could be well, basically if state and local employees are basically school teachers and uh so we're going to be talking about a lot of job losses for people now for hitting the middle class as well as low low-paid service workers i wanted to also get your thoughts on what seems to also be uh, something that the Biden administration will be moving quickly on is getting back into the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah, so uh, they will do that. Uh, but um, actual, that, the question is what they can do in terms of concrete measures to, you can agree that, that, that we're part of that accord, but what do we do to actually reduce greenhouse emissions? Now, uh, Obama did quite a lot, again, through the regulatory state. Uh, there, it's basically... Uh, 
Uh, the EPA has a lot of discretionary decisions to make, and uh, just just as uh, Trump has done a lot of weakening of environmental regulation without any change in the law, Biden could restore a lot of that. And make, you know, in, the, in his final uh, final years, Obama was doing significant stuff on climate without any any legislation, and presumably Biden could go back to that. Although you do wonder whether a 6-3 Supreme Court would yeah. start to declare all kinds of, of traditional executive actions unconstitutional. You you mentioned a little while ago that uh, short-term, you're a little bit more pessimistic. Maybe 18 months out, uh, you're a little bit more positive on uh, the state of the economy and the recovery. But five years out, again, had to, had some concerns. What do you think it takes then to potentially turn your opinion to be more optimistic over that entire over that entire period of time okay in short run i just don't see any way to feel optimistic i mean this is um unless unless uh, i'm totally surprised about what uh what either surprised by the results on january 5th in georgia or surprised by by what uh, a mcconnell senate is willing to agree to because we really have the this thing and we are back uh, and we're seriously serious pandemic. I mean, and this and and we know that leads to even even if governments don't do lockdowns, people essentially lock themselves down. People right. you can already see from the you know mobility data from the Dakotas and so on that people are slashing their activity because of fear of the virus. Um, so that's I, I don't know what would make me optimistic about the very near term. Um, and then a little further on, I still think that. Once the people feel it's safe to go out again, they will, and with the they will get a, a big, uh, fast snapback at that point. Longer term, um, now it's possible, you know, that we'll get lucky. Now, the, the best thing that we could have for the economy would be longer term would be if tech, not only if we have technological developments, but that uh, but technological developments that lead to a lot of investment. I mean, if uh, if we go you know way back and ask why why was the Clinton era uh, such a, a boom time for the economy, uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that not only that we were having the internet and the, you know, the rise of, of IT, but that that at that point IT was leading to a lot of investment by telecoms companies. Really, business investment was about two percentage points of GDP higher than you would have expected, largely because they were putting in fiber optic systems and all of that. Um, that's not what's been happening now. Now we have you know, Zoom is just not generating a lot of of, of investment spending. But maybe maybe we'll get lucky, or alternatively, maybe we finally get a political willingness to do uh, what you know, what what. Uh, uh, unlikely players like the International Monetary Fund are saying and have a massive public investment program. Can we get back to the low unemployment rates that we saw uh, pre-pandemic, you know, in the relative near future? And I, I think by relative, I'm thinking, you know, 18 to 24 months uh, out at this point. Yeah, I think that's actually entirely possible. I mean, one, one thing we've learned uh, is that the U.S. economy can can run hotter than people thought without real inflation risk. Um, and if there are, I think there, for a little while, assume that the vaccine comes along, gets widely distributed, we basically start to not be worried about uh, coronavirus by late next year. Uh, I think a lot of people will 
return to business as usual and then some. I mean, there may be some some pent up demand. It's because not just you know people um, people have saved a lot of the money they didn't spend on on. Uh, leisure activities uh, yeah. on travel entertainment, uh, and they may actually be willing to uh, to splurge a bit. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a, a rapid drop in unemployment back to sort of early you know, beginning of this year levels uh, initially. But then the trouble is that we still will be in a, uh, an economy that even in the middle of a boom has interest rates that are barely above zero, which means that the Fed has no re- uh, no good response. If something goes wrong, and sooner or later something always does go wrong, so we'll be still a, a, an economy that, even if it has temporarily uh, firing on all four, four cylinders, is is always at risk of stalling. Paul, pleasure to have you back on with us as always. Uh, stay safe, and we will catch up with you again down the road. Talk to you soon. Take Thank care. you. Great to have him with us as always. Uh, Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman, distinguished professor of economics at the Graduate Center at City University of New York and also an opinion writer for The New York Times. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.